Father, Lord, I, I just want to thank you that you have given us the privilege to be here on your holy day. Lord, you give us so many blessings. You've given us the blessing of the Sabbath. You've given us the blessing of prayer. And Father, you've given us the blessing of salvation. Lord, today as we complete looking at the final hours of your time here on earth, we ask that this would not be heard from a man, but Lord, that you would speak in a way that only you can speak. And Father, open our hearts and open our minds that we would understand what you would have us to say. And Father, that we would act upon them. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you know, as you've been attending the past few weeks, you've realized that we've been going through the final hours of Christ's life as he was here on earth, right? We started as he was getting ready for his disciples to understand what was taking place. And the last time we met, we looked at his crucifixion. And our theme verse that we've been looking at is one that we've read many times. So we don't need to go there this, this morning. But it says simply this, it's in the book of Revelation, that God's last day people would follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Now, we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we love to say that we're going to follow the Lamb to heaven. Amen? That we're looking forward to Jesus coming again, and praise the Lord for that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But seldom do we understand that we must follow the Lamb through some other things as well, don't we? We must follow the Lamb through baptism. We must follow the Lamb through ministry like He did when He was here on earth. We must follow the Lamb when we're betrayed. We must follow the Lamb through that Gethsemane experience that we should be having as we wrestle with God. We should follow the Lamb through trials and tribulations that we may have while we're here on this earth and that will continue to get worse. And finally, we must follow the Lamb to the cross. Last time we met, we talked about the cross. We talked about the trial of Jesus as he was set there before kings, before rulers, before the Sanhedrin, there seven different times. And that message that we heard that day from the Word of God, if you remember correctly, was pretty sober, wasn't it? It was very serious. There weren't a whole lot of smiles that day because it was a very serious message, as I believe every message from the Word of God is. But all of those week, these past three weeks that we've been coming together to discuss this, it all climaxes to this one point. As Jesus was there on the cross and he gave up the ghost, we praise the Lord that the devil had lost at that very moment. Amen. Amen. When Jesus looked at his father and said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Little did Jesus know that as Everything was shrouded there by that cloud and no one could see. And he felt the separation from his father that the father in heaven was pleased. Amen. And that never before had the father been so close to his son, even though he could not look upon him. All of this was done so that we could live for eternity with Jesus. Amen. When we took a look at Christ here on earth and the life that he lived, he, Jesus always lived life to the next level, didn't he? And the wonderful thing about Jesus is this, Jesus did not live a double standard, amen? When Jesus took things to the next level, you remember back there in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said that when you look after a woman with lust in your eyes, you're committing adultery, right? Remember that? When Jesus would take things to the next level, Jesus lived a next level, didn't he? And that's what he wants us to follow after. 
We should not be two-faced. We should not be double-minded. But when we speak about Christian values, when we speak about salvation, when we talk about all these wonderful things, we should live it as well, shouldn't we? Just like Christ did, only in His power. If we're to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, we should not be standing alone. Amen? But we should be standing with the strength of Jesus Christ. But, as we follow the Lamb to the cross, like we talked about last week, we find that we need to be crucified with Christ. Amen? That we, in of ourselves, no longer live, but Christ lives within us. If there's anything that's separating us from the power of God, if there's anything that is separating us from fully understanding who He is, I don't know what that might be today, my friends, but it must be crucified. You know, everybody in this room I've had conversations with and I'm getting to know better and better every day, and I think I can call you all friends but there's one thing that I know about every single one of, one of you in this, in this room today, and it's this. And you might laugh, but it's true. You all have issues. And guess what? So does your pastor. All of us in this room have issues. Would you agree? They might be different. We all have different issues. But my friends, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he can work through us with those issues. Amen? that the wonderful thing about Jesus is those issues that we have, Jesus can transform those issues into our strengths. Jesus can heal us of all of those issues. But did you know that as Jesus was there on the cross and as Jesus was laid to rest in that tomb where no man had been laid like the prophecies had predicted, and as Pilate put a guard there, which we're going to read in just a minute, did you know when all this was taking place that God laughed? You heard me correctly. Let's take a look at this. Go to Matthew chapter 28, if you would. You should already be there uh, if you looked up the scripture verse. But Matthew chapter 28, we start here in verse 1. Actually, we'll start in 2765 just to get a little bit of context here. Matthew 2765, notice what it says. It said, Pilate said unto them, you have a watch. By the way, did you know a watch is somewhere between 18 and 50 people? You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. Talking about the tomb of Jesus. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So to make sure that the body of Jesus, which was there in the tomb, to make sure that he did not resurrect after three days, to make sure that the disciples didn't come and steal the body away, Pilate set a watch for anywhere from 18 to 50 men. Now, I know in uh, norm when we look at artist depictions of the tomb there, we normally see about two Roman guards, right? About two of them. But there were more than that. And as those guards were set, and as the tomb was sealed there, you know, I am glad that Pilate did that. Because Pilate putting those guards there and Pilate sealing that stone there ensured that throughout history that no one could say that the body of Jesus was stolen. Amen? No one today can say that it was all a phony because there were guards set there for a reason. And as Jesus was laid to rest there, you remember that the Sanhedrin came to Pilate and said that Jesus had said that he would raise up after three days. You know what's crazy about this? 
Christ's enemies were listening to what Jesus said more than his disciples were. The disciples were away and they were wailing and they were really upset that their Savior had died. And the Pharisees were thinking, hey, I remember what he said. But the disciples had quickly forgotten. But as Jesus was there laying in that tomb, as the Son of God was dead for humanity, the devil thought that he had won, but he could have never been so wrong. Look what it says here in Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, in the end of the Sabbath, Jesus kept the Sabbath even his death. Amen. He rested. As it began to draw towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Who's the other Mary? His mother, right? to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of them, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now hold up here for just a minute. These Roman soldiers were the biggest and the baddest guys that you could find on the face of the earth at that time. These were the guys that had followed Caesar into Gaul, that had faced the big German giants, and the physical specimen of Roman soldiers in these days, they were very careful about. These Roman soldiers were ripped, all right? All Roman soldiers were. They had seen the face of battle before. They knew what was going on. They knew warfare. They knew all these things. And as 18 to 50 of them were there, gathered around the tomb of Christ, guarding one tiny Nazarene that no one was too worried about. As they were there, surrounding the tomb there, guarding this one dead Nazarene, when one angel came and appeared to these Roman soldiers, the hardened men, the men of battle, what happened? They all fell as if they were dead, wiped out, face down, on the ground. My friends, if one angel can do that, what will it be like when all of heaven comes back? What will it be like when 10,000 times 10,000 of angels join the Son of God coming from heaven when there's silence in heaven for about a half hour and they come to earth? What kind of brightness and glory will that be? No one will be able to stand except those that are on his side. Amen? And as that angel came there and the guards fell down as if they were dead and the stone was rolled away, I wonder the stance that the angel was sitting there upon that stone. I don't know what he looked like there. But as he was sitting there upon the stone, look what happened here. We find it in verse 5. It says, And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse 6, this is powerful. He is not here. Amen? For he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly. Tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Isn't that powerful? These women came, they saw the place, and they rushed back to tell the disciples about it. The disciples came to see it in just a moment. I wish that we could go over all the details of the crucifixion. 
I wish that we could go over all the details of the resurrection because there's so much there and it's so powerful. We don't have the time for that today, but I'll tell you this, you have a Bible, read it. But one thing I would love to say, and we don't have time to go there, but in one of the, one of the um, accounts there in the Gospels, it gives a very specific detail. When those disciples came to see the tomb of Jesus, they found something very interesting. They found a napkin. And it was folded where Jesus had been. It was the napkin that had covered his face in his death. Now, did you know in Jewish custom that if you were there at a meal and you had to get up, if you had to go do something quickly, you had to go to the bathroom, whatever it might be, if you had to get up from the meal, if you wanted to come back and eat more, you would fold the napkin and put it next to your plate. That told the host that you were coming back for more. If you took that same napkin and crumpled it up and put it on your plate or where you were, that meant that you were done and that they could clear your space. When the disciples came back and they saw the napkin of Jesus folded, they knew that that meant something. Amen? It meant that Jesus was coming back for more. Amen? And this time, Jesus isn't coming back as a babe in Bethlehem. This time, Jesus is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a day that will be. But you might be asking, Pastor, where does it say that God laughed? Well, take a look at this. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter 2. The second psalm there. Psalm 2 and verse 1, as those Roman guards were there guarding the tomb of the Son of God. Look what Psalms chapter 2 verse 1 tells us here. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves... The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them a derision. So just think about that for a minute. As Pilate put those hardened men before the tomb of his son, and as the seal was put there on the tomb, God chuckled. Because compared to our Father in heaven, and I'm going to use this word correctly, those Roman soldiers were puny. The greatest men that this world could offer in comparison to one of the angels of heaven fell as if they were dead men. Our power, the power of God, no human force can stand up to. No king, no army, no country, nothing can stand up to the power of God. Amen? Amen. And when someone stands up to the power of God, he simply chuckles and lets his power be known. Amen? And that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. Finally, his power will be known. And as Jesus was resurrected that day, as all the details were laid out, as Jesus let Thomas put his fingers, doubting Thomas, put his fingers 
in the scars where the nails had been. As Jesus ate with them, as he talked with them for 40 days, as Jesus gave them the great commission, go you therefore and teach all nations. It wasn't a suggestion, it was a command, right? As Jesus did all of these things, what was Peter thinking? Remember, Peter had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. The biblical narrative says that once he had denied Jesus, he left and he wept. We read this a few weeks ago, but it says that Peter, after walking with Jesus for three and a half years, was still unconverted. I believe the night that Peter denied Jesus, that caused Jesus more anguish than Judas did. I believe that night that Peter wept, that Peter was converted. Peter still had some things to get over even after his conversion. Peter had to get over some pride. Peter had to get over some bigotry, didn't he? But yet God still used Revelation 5, 5 and 6. We took a look at this at prayer meeting the other week. Revelation 5, 5, and 6 talks about this, and it's so powerful. It says this, Revelation 5, 5, and 6. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and made of four beasts. So take a look at this for just a minute. This angel is giving a huge introduction for this guy, right? Now, this is a terrible example. But bear with me. When someone is about ready to enter into a boxing ring, they make a big deal about this guy, right? They give his name. They play an intimidating song as the guy walks in. All these things, the lights are flashing, and the guy's supposed to walk in and be intimidating, right? Heaven is saying who this man is, saying what he's done. It's giving this man a great introduction, and look who shows up here in verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as if it had been slain. And it continues on from there. Powerful? A killed lamb? My friends, all the power of heaven and of the universe was in this one lamb that had been slain. Because this lamb that was slain here on earth is not going to come back the second time as a lamb that was slain, but as the Lion of Judah. Amen? Amen. The reason that Jesus can come back as a king is because he came the first time as a lamb. Amen? And I want to be there that day when Jesus comes again. What do you think? Amen. What a glorious day it will be. I don't think we're as excited about this as we should be. Jesus is coming back. We all know it. He's coming back soon. We have to be ready. But when Jesus comes back, my friends, there's going to be some that are excited and there's going to be some who will be absolutely terrified. Like those Roman soldiers with one simple angel that, that fell down at their feet as dead, all of the host of heaven and all their brightness and glory is coming. The Son of God is coming. All of the splendor of heaven is coming to save his people. Which side are you going to be on? If you, want to talk, if you want to follow the Lamb in victory, you must follow the Lamb through the cross. If you want to follow the Lamb in victory and, and share with Him in that victory that day, you must have that Gethsemane experience now. Where will you be on that day, my friend? 
But this is wonderful. As Jesus takes his faithful few to heaven with him, he does something special. We won't turn there, but Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20 says that Christ is our forerunner. You know that, right? A forerunner is someone in a parade there that gives attention to the one that's behind him, right? The forerunner is normally dressed in very flashy clothes, and he says, look at the king who's coming. And you might see the forerunner for a split second, but once he says, look at the king, where are your eyes going? They're going to the king, right? Now, this seems so backwards in my mind, but Jesus is going to be your forerunner. When Jesus marches into heaven with victory, he's going to be saying, here I am, and take a look at this motley crew that I brought. I want to be part of those people, don't you? I want to be part, I want to be the trophy of Jesus. I want to be proof that his love actually works. I want to accept his tender mercies today. Look here, Revelation 15. Revelation 15, starting here in verse 2 and 3. This is our last verse. Revelation 15, 2 and 3. You have to be here when it actually takes place. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing upon the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, you king of saints. Don't you want to be there? When Jesus comes again, don't you want to think, I'm so glad that he's here. I knew he was coming. Or do you want to say, I knew this was coming. I wasn't ready in time. A couple weeks ago now, there was somebody that I knew when I grew up, and he held a position that I esteemed to be. This man was a Bible worker. Now, if you don't know what a Bible worker is, a Bible worker is somebody who, for his entire living, 40 hours a week, he gives Bible studies to people to try and win them to Christ. I was a Bible worker before I was a pastor. It's, it's, it's a fantastic job. You don't have to deal with board meetings. You don't have to deal with anything. You just win people to Jesus. It's wonderful. This man was a Bible worker. I went on Bible studies with this guy. This man was using Christ's method. At a local public school there in town, he decided to do a free breakfast program that the church funded because kids can't learn well on an empty stomach, right, if they're starving. And so he would go there and put on a free breakfast for the kids and then give Bible studies to their parents. He's doing an amazing work. I found out about three or four weeks ago now that this man, this Bible worker, who everyone thought was converted, that this man that held a position in the church, this man that was once paid with the holy tithe in anger, killed his wife. Just last week, about three or four weeks ago. My friends, this might sound jaded. But we cannot tell which side we are on unless we're submitted to Jesus. I haven't been alive for very long. But I've already learned that people aren't what they put on with their face value. 
It might seem jaded, but when I learned that this had taken place, it didn't surprise me because this man was a human. It doesn't matter which position you might hold. It doesn't matter what you're doing for Christ. It doesn't matter what you claim to be. It doesn't matter what you put on on Sabbath morning. Are you converted? Are you somebody that's just coming to church to fulfill expectations? Or do you actually love the Savior who died for you? Because this Savior went through oh so much to get to the point where he could come get us. We just read about all of it. He was denied. He took it. He was beaten. He took it. He was betrayed. He took it on the chin for the team. He was crucified. It didn't bother him. He was spit on. He took it. His father couldn't look upon his face. It was worth it for you and for me. And if I'm coming to church simply because there's a story that I somewhat believe in, or I know that the morals of this church are right, so that's why I go, but yet I'm not in love with my Savior, then you're living a lie. I'm living a lie. There's no greater hold that a human can have in his heart knowing the truth but not being committed to it. We can be here at church every week. We can be at prayer meeting. We can be giving Bible studies. But unless we love Jesus, then my friends, you're doing more harm than good. I wasn't going to read this today, but I've got it right here. We're living in a time where it's Sodom and Gomorrah all around us, isn't it? The world that we live in is full of sin. When we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of homosexuality, don't we? We think of sexual sins. The Bible tells us that was going on in Sodom. But I want to read you something here that struck me this week. The Redeemer of the world declares that there are greater sins than that for which Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Those who hear the gospel invitation calling sinners to repentance and heed it not are more guilty before God than were the dwellers in the vale of Sodom. Think about that. One other quote, this isn't Spirit of Prophecy, but it struck me this week. Is your soul completely whole, or is there something missing? Like Judas, are you a devil at heart, although Christ is who you're kissing? I read that once more. Is your soul completely whole or is there something missing? Like Judas, are you a devil at heart, although Christ is who you're kissing? We cannot have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Because in fact, you're not godly, you're just a moralist. We should be excited that Jesus is coming. When we hear about Christ coming, we shouldn't dread it because we don't know that we're ready or not. 
when we hear about Jesus Christ coming, we should be excited because we're waiting to see our friend. We should be excited for Jesus coming because I'm tired of being on my knees in prayer, not being able to see the face of my Savior. I want to be able to sit at Jesus' feet and talk with him like I do with a friend and be able to see those scars in his hands. I want to see him coming from the clouds. I want to see him riding a cloud of angels. I want to be there with my wife and with my church family. I want to be there and see the glory of God. I don't want to be one of the ones that are calling for the rocks and mountains to fall on me. My biggest fear as a minister of God is to stumble and to lose the work that he's given me to do. My biggest fear as a Christian is to stumble and profane the name of God. Not because I'm fearful of losing my spot in heaven. It's more than that. I love God so much I don't want to disappoint him. I love God so much that it grieves my heart to think about hurting him again because I've done it so many times before. It makes my heart wrench to think about hurting my Savior again. When Jesus comes back, I don't want there to be anything in my life that is holding me back. I want to welcome him with open arms. And I can't get there just by putting my feet in the ground and grinding my teeth. I've got to know him for who he is. The reason that we do what we do, the reason that we're here today, the reason that we pay our tithe, the reason that we do all of these things is because of the story that we just heard. We love him because he first loved us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.